Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 232, Period Drama and Birth Control Updates. Yes, this is a topic that we are asked about pretty much every month as often as women menstruate maybe, uh, from topics on endometriosis to PCOS to just painful cramps or even loss or absence of a cycle. So in today's episode, we will be refreshing you on how the menstrual cycle functions in a woman's body. And also we're going to be talking to you about the various forms of birth control, the side effects and clinical considerations, as well as the impact of the estrobilome or our gut bacteria impact on our estrogen and progesterone expression and nutrient deficiencies driven by birth control, as well as some of the new options out there and fertility awareness. So buckle up, it's gonna be a dense episode, but a lot of things that you can layer in. And if you have not listened yet, I would recommend checking out episode 106 and 107. Those were a two-part series on birth control. And in episode 107, that's where we shared with you the fertility awareness method using the DAISY basal thermometer, which is a 99.6% accuracy. The basal thermometer is going to really measure at a more sensitive level than just your standard thermometer that you can get at your drugstore. I will put a link in today's episode because if this is something that you want to consider as a natural way of learning about your ovulation and your body temperature change, I think that it's a really fantastic tool that is available and you can use the link from our show notes to get a discount on your monitor also you may want to check out episodes 48 and 49 which was a two-part on PCOS we did episode 145 on endometriosis and infertility and I shared a lot of personal experience in that one and then in episode 121 keto and women's hormones that's one of our top 10 ever episodes and I think really goes into depth on carb cycling and just the impact of blood sugar metabolism and the role of ketones on as a hormetic influence in the body and really on the shifts that occur during your menstrual cycle. Yes, so we are due for an episode. It has been a while. Yeah, good old 232. Uh-huh. <laughs> it seems like we're almost 100 out from last mentions of yeah. these things. Yep. Um, before we dive into today's episode, let's just have a quick word for our sponsor for this episode, Fond Bone Broth. Yes. So Fond Bone Broth is truly wellness well made. They offer artisanal bone broths that are like wellness elixirs that combine not only flavor profiles that will delight your palate and taste buds, but also have synergistic food as medicine properties. So they, from the entire process of their artisanal well water, which is tested for chemicals on a daily basis, to the vats of stainless steel, 
steel that they cook in to their glass jars that they bottle in really take painstaking effort to ensure that quality and integrity are of the utmost, including the local and organic produce that they source, as well as their cage-free, free-range chicken that they use. And I'm super excited to announce that they are coming out with a beef line. Oh, sweet. I didn't know that. Yes. So uh, we'll be probably the first up to test Becky. So we'll have to share. I have not tasted yet, but I know that everything they do is just beyond amazing. In fact, Fond is one of the ways that I'm able to get bone broth into the individuals that are not otherwise on board with the other brands that are out there. They tend to think that bone broth is just kind of heavy and fatty and tastes like meat juice. Well, Fond really brightens up flavor profiles, adding things like cracked pepper and turmeric, um, adding in radish and lemon and some really beautiful... Uh, blends that I have really used as a sous chef in my kitchen. In fact, we talked a couple episodes about how I used the Nopalito, which is a habanero and nopales, that's a cactus and cilantro blend in my refried black beans, which really lit up the flavor. Also great to use in like a carnita sauce or anything in the world of like tacos. (laughs) Could blend literally that flavor of bone broth with half an avocado and make a really yummy dip or dressing. Um, And really all of their flavors out there are such delights. So go on over to fondbonebroth.com slash AllieMillerRD or make sure that you put in the code AllieMillerRD at checkout over at fondbonebroth.com so that you can get a facelift for your gut, support your immune health, support your connective tissue, reduce food sensitivities, get your electrolyte balance on, maybe extend your fast. We do a bone broth fast for those of you that are interested. You can check out the link on AllieMillerRD.com. But great tools to really accelerate your wellness and health and enjoy the experience. Go on over to fondbonebroth.com. Yes, I just used their um, shiitake and, and shallot one in a marinade yesterday, actually, and it turned out awesome for oh, short yeah. ribs. That one used yeah. to be called the youth tonic. Yes. Yeah, I still like calling it that. I do too. <laughs> I believe in it. <laughs> All right. So digging into today, one of the big things that we really uh, brought to light in some of the prior episodes on birth control and period health is that your menstrual cycle is essentially an additional vital sign of health. Um, So let's just share what this means to listeners and remind them of uh, the emphasis or for new listeners, just give a little bit of perspective on how important it is that you actually have a period. Yeah, it is. It's like a cardinal sign of your body's wellness, just like your pulse, just like blood pressure, just like body temperature and so many other things, this is a way to ensure that the body is balanced. And if you were to lose your period or have breakthrough bleeding or have an extended cycle, maybe 40 plus days, this can be a warning sign that your body is experiencing imbalance. And so when we stifle or silence this feedback, it's like we lose that canary in the coal mine, right? We don't have that awareness of something being off in the body. And when I think of the menstrual cycle and women's health, I really think of that connection to the HPO axis or the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis. So we talked a lot in this podcast about the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal. But when we're talking about the HPO, we're talking about that pituitary in a regulatory mode or parasympathetic state 
really being able to support that reproductive regulatory mode, which would be targeting the sexual organs instead of those survival adrenal glands, which would be upregulated in a sympathetic fight or flight response. So again, stress is one of the biggest things that can kind of steal from this HPO function into an HPA access. And I think that this is one of the best ways because so many of us, <laughs> I laugh because I am one of them. I literally, as we're recording this, had just recently experienced an 18-day breakthrough cycle after a really stressful time. Mm-hmm. And I think so many of us are like the frog in the pot of simmering water. And this has been a really stressful, sure. you know, gosh, 14 months that we're going into here. And um, a lot of us, if we don't have those external or those physiological aha awarenesses or, or, or awakenings or kind of aha physical hits to say, oh, something's off in my body. Now I really need to level up that bubble wrap or now I really need to delete some commitments or really need to sleep in this week or give myself more grace. Um, and really without that, I, I, I likely am the type that just keeps muscling through. So I use my menstrual cycle as a great way of me telling myself or seeing on a quantifiable, measurable approach if I really have a full cycle and I ovulate that my body feels safe. And that's really important. That's such a good point. And something I encourage all clients to do is to, you know, download a free app and actually track your cycle. Cause you know, you might even have such a stressful month that you forget yeah. <laughs> and miss a period and, and your body is trying to tell you something. Absolutely. And then not even to mention the whole world of dysbiosis and gut bacteria. You know, we just recently have talked so much with the new release of the beat the bloat ebook on the importance of your gut bacteria for whole body health. So, you know, the mental and emotional components as far as, you know, probiotics being nature's Prozac and the impact of BDNF, that brain-derived neurotrophic factor. We talked about, of course, the immune connection to the microbiome. We talked about the digestive connection and the hormonal synergistic connection. So I think that having a imbalanced menstrual cycle might be also a sign or a feedback that you're experiencing dysbiosis. And again, if you're on birth control, that's silencing that feedback mechanism. So you're not getting that awareness. Totally. And I'm sure we're going to dig into how birth control can actually drive dysbiosis in the first place. All these chicken and eggs. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So before we go any deeper on why your period is important um, and what it's saying about your health, let's just give kind of a 101 level on what actually occurs kind of day by day, break it down in the menstrual cycle. Okay. So it's so funny because when we do our Neurohormone Complete Plus panel with our clients, I think that a lot of women are not empowered with understanding how their menstrual cycle works. Mm -hmm. Like we maybe literally took a class in like fifth grade or fourth grade, I don't know, and and maybe one more in high school. And for many people, that's their only experience. And so when I'll say, okay, what day are you on in your cycle? Or you want to collect this between days 19 and 21 of your cycle? They're like, so which is day one? Like where's day Mm -hmm. one start? (laughs) So menstruation or what we call day one of your cycle is when you are actively having blood flow. Okay. So day one is that first day of menstruation or your cycle. And hormonally during this time, your progesterone drops dynamically. I even call it or refer to progesterone as kind of like the dam. And so if a egg that was released was not fertilized, the progesterone levels drop, which allow the, the, the menstrual cycle to start. And so you start to actually break down your uterine lining instead of thickening it for implantation. So usually the menstrual 
period is about one to five days in length. Generally speaking, more so like three to five days in length. Progesterone is going to dynamically drop. You start to shed the uterine lining and your cervix is going to be firm and low to allow that blood flow activity. And in some ways, you might be, hear this referred to as the new moon. So when we've talked in episodes about carb cycling, we think of you know the full moon being this ovulatory time for people that aren't menstruating. So for women that are menopausal or women that are dealing with amenorrhea and are looking to kind of find their rhythm or their cycle, they might follow the moon in such Mm -hmm. a way. Uh, Then from that menstruation, we go into our follicular or proliferative phase. So this might start as early as day three or day five, whenever you stop that active blood flow. And it's generally going to last for about seven to 10 days of length. At this time, we're looking at the P of that HPO axis, the pituitary gland in your brain, putting out FSH or follicular stimulating hormone. And what this does is it stimulates the follicles that contain your eggs in an ovary to mature. And then it starts to release your luteinizing hormone, which is going to promote the ripening and the release. And that's what's going to peak as we get into this ovulation phase. Um, And that follicular phase towards the tail end of it, you might start to see some creamy white discharge, which is going to tie to egg health. So actually getting discharge. Now there's difference of if we go into kind of a, sorry for my descriptive term, but like cottage cheese thick Right, I mean, yep. <laughs> dance around it. That's the way to say it. Yeah. So creamy white discharge is healthy, uh, but if we do see more of a thicker, kind of cheesier or cream cheese looking discharge, that could be an indicator of BV, bacterial vaginosis, sure. or uh, yeast infection, and we'll we'll cover that in a moment. But you do typically see some discharge pre-ovulation, um, and we do typically see that associated with robust, healthy eggs. And we see estrogen and testosterone go up during this follicular stage. And this is where we can see an increase of libido. Then we go into ovulation, which is really just a 24-hour period of that egg survival mode, but it is about a two to three day part of your cycle. And this would be that like full moon, if you will. During this time, we're going to get a surge or the highest point of your luteal hormone, your luteinizing hormone. And this is going to cause the dominant follicle to open and release the egg into the fallopian fallopian tube and then uh, it's going to survive for upwards of 24 hours and will either be fertilized or if not fertilized by sperm will die Um, and then the cervix is going to be soft it's going to move higher and open that's what actually helps the egg to get to the sperm um, and that's going to make that uh, carried by more of the viscous egg white like discharge that we would see during this time and literally like that more elasticity you can tell from your cervical mucus that's what's going to create like this rubber band pull to really (laughs) vacuum suck that is you like that sound sound. yep (laughs) (laughs) to um, <laughs> the sperm up to the egg. This is delightful already. We're having fun. We should have done this one with wine, Becky. Right. Um, okay. <laughs> so usually during ovulation, um, we can see also a little bit more of that libido, uh, but we tend to see higher emotions um, and we tend to see more sensory enhancement. So that's the body wanting to reproduce. Following your ovulation, we see your luteal or your secretory phase, which is generally going to be a length of 12 to 16 days. And optimally, this is going to be 14 days of length. Um, And so this will generally come like days 12 through 28 of your cycle, or, you know, could be a little bit later, depending on when you ovulate. 
Uh, during this time, we see a drop in both your FSH, which was already declining, and then your, your luteal hormone, your luteinizing hormone is going to drop quite dynamically. Um, your estrogen and testosterone are going to gradually decline as the egg is released, and we'll start to see a surge of progesterone. So progesterone is going to actually be a heat-inducing hormone, and that's what's going to raise your basal body temperature for the remainder of your luteal phase. Also, we'll see that cervical fluid will lose that elasticity and it'll start um, to become a little bit less dynamic, a little bit thinned out. Um, and we will see that the progesterone is going to be there to stimulate the growth of the lining of the uterus in preparation for pregnancy. So this beginning, especially of the luteal phase and, and really at the peak of luteal, we see a, a big surge of progesterone. And so for individuals that are using, for instance, bioidentical progesterone, they'll often use it like days 12 through 28 of their cycle. Um, and when we're looking at that luteal hormone phase, we see the peak sometimes around like 16 to 20 or so of uh, the days of the cycle when we'd see that progesterone peak. And the idea is if the egg was fertilized, we want to ensure that the lining of the uterus is going to be able to hold and maintain that egg for implantation. Um, and this is where we see insufficient progesterone levels being a big driver of miscarriage or sure. not, not getting that successful implantation of the fertilized egg. Um, so sometimes we'll see like a, a chemical pregnancy or something like that where there may have been positive but not healthy implantation. At the second phase of the luteal um, is where we'll often see like the PMDD or some of the more dynamic mood influences. We see estrogen levels start to rise to prep for pregnancy, or if there's no pregnancy, um, then the estrogen and the progesterone will drop to allow that uterine lining shed. Um, and so that's why you might get the tenderness in the breasts, which could be an indicator of pregnancy or just your period coming. Um, and then that's often at that same time, like days 23 to, through 28 again, where you see more PMS-like symptoms, bloating. We can also see the mood stuff. And we tend to see a suppression of our endorphins. So we're also more sensitive to pain. And, and that's where we can feel also a little bit lower energy, like just kind of blah and low and flat. Okay. I feel like that could be a podcast episode in and of itself, maybe yes. someday. Um, we're going through each phase, but I think that's really, really helpful. I was just recently talking to a friend who's just started trying to get pregnant and she's like, whoa, I never realized that, you know, there were only a couple of days during my cycle that I could get pregnant. I was led to believe like when I went on birth control back in high school that I could get pregnant any day yeah. out of my cycle. And it's, pretty amazing just like learning what's actually happening in your body and how that can empower you. And now with that being said, it does not mean that there haven't been people that have gotten pregnant on day six of their cycle right, right. because your body can technically release an egg, sure. especially if you're passing a cyst. But generally speaking, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. going to be at, at that <laughs> post-follicular yeah, phase. All right. And I know many women out there just don't want to deal with uh, flow, if we still call her that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or their cycle just due to, you know, some of those symptoms that you mentioned. So the cramping, the pain, you know, interfering with what they can wear, um, sex life, all of the things. So I guess what distinguishes something that would be of concern in terms of a symptom or should be investigated versus a uh, mere discomfort or, you know, something that's kind of par for the course? Sure. And then as we kind of navigate, I'll go through interventions and things we can do about it. So, you know, heavy periods and cramping, it's just like anything, right? Everything's relative to what you experience as an individual. 
So if you're not reporting heavy periods and cramping, likely you're not experiencing them. Um, as I shared in the endometriosis episode, I mean, I was on like prescriptive pain medicine at like age, I think as early as age 14 and would turn like absolutely white ghost or like green and would vomit from the pain. I mean, it was bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, if that's not you, right, then maybe it's just moderately heavy periods and cramping. But if you are having severe, severe pain, that is worth investigating because there could be PCOS or endometriosis as a likely contributor to why you're having that dynamic level of pain. Um, to support heavy periods and cramping, we think of one mechanism would be to relax the muscles. So mm-hmm. adding in and leveling up with relax and regulate, you know, so if you're doing that regularly, which is such a powerful tool for, for women's hormones. I mean, we just did a huge feature with the promo for relax and regulate our one annual sales. Sorry if you missed it, but you have to subscribe to the naturally nourished newsletter to stay on top of our, we're doing one like blast what is it called I guess flash sale flash sale that's the word yeah blast sale I don't know flash (laughs) sale a month on a featured product and so we'll always share like a trailer on that video uh, a video where I talk for maybe 10 minutes on the product and really deep dive on the research behind it and so forth but myo inositol that's in the relax and regulate I mean I was about to talk about the magnesium bisglycinate as a neuromuscular relaxer and aiding with that pain threshold and aiding with the cramping but the myo inositol is such a powerful player I mean it's been compared to other fertility agents and has such successful clinical outcomes and it's actually the dose of four grams which is in just one Mm -hmm. scoop of our relax and regulate which can increase ovulation upwards of like 63 percent with just two to three months of use so really supporting healthy ovulation is supporting healthy menstrual cycle and so one thing to do is get going with your relax and regulate regularly Um, but you might level that up to like two to three scoops to help with the, the muscle cramping and the pain and then we also think of super turmeric as a tool that i really liken as like a natural form of an alternate to like an NSAID drug. So if you're dealing with headache, muscle ache, body ache, instead of going for Aleve or Advil or naproxen sodium, super turmeric is going to be a great tool which does not stress your gut and your liver and instead actually enhances both of them. So going up from like your daily super turmeric to maybe three to four a day would be totally appropriate. And you'd probably want to start doing this actually if your cycle is predictable, like starting with day 27 if you have a 28-day cycle because you're actually able with the super turmeric and the EPA DHA extra and the inflammasome, those are your three anti-inflammatory tools, you're actually able to reduce those prostaglandins, those cytokines, those interleukins. So all of those inflammatory mediating chemicals that are liberated by your body in attack to thin or break down your uterine lining, you're actually going to mitigate or reduce the amount of kind of that damming or that buildup so that you'll have less of the inflammatory pain. So if you can get ahead of that all the better Um, and the EPA DHA extra you know I have most of you on like two to three a day so you could absolutely go up to four to five of that a day that's an omega-3 fatty acid which will also help to support if you deal with blood clots Um, so this will be a blood thinner of sorts and that will also help if you have PCOS or fibroids or endometriosis you're likely prone to having 
more clotting factor. Clots we also tend to see with just inadequate progesterone levels in general or estrogen dominance. So that's a great way to kind of thin out clotting. And that would take me to the inflammasome, which proteolytic enzymes are really a huge turnkey for infertility and also for individuals that have any of that buildup. So endometriosis, which I'll I'll pause because we'll nerd out about what that is and how that occurs in the body, but endo and for fibroids, the inflammasome is absolutely fabulous because those proteolytic enzymes break down that tissue buildup that doesn't belong in areas of the body and also regulate the inflammatory mechanism. So I would have the inflammasome for anyone that has a heavy cycle, like four a day as a general, and then going up to six to eight a day as they get to, again, that kind of day 26 or leading into the end of their menstrual cycle through that active menstruation. So like six to eight, so kind of doubling down from that four. And then I would also suggest most definitely if dealing with heavy cycles to ensure that you're not going anemic, that you are supplementing with a multivitamin that has iron in it. So whether you're doing our multi-defense with iron or the multi-avail mama, that would be really powerful options to ensure that you are repleting the blood loss. Awesome. So a lot of those tools sound like they're things that we could actually pulse up. And that's often what I'll do with my clients, like you said, leading in like that day 23, 24 or so, or when they start to notice some of the PMS kind of kicking in, you can go to that higher amount and ride that through you know the end of your cycle and then kind of go back onto your maintenance dose. Yes, and then for those that deal with a lot of the mood imbalance, the PMDD, or really severe PMS, especially if we see this with the fluid retention and bloating, you can even add in something like herbal immune. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about that, the role of lemon balm um, as a really powerful player to support that hormone balance and the herbs in there. So it has thyme, oregano, lemon balm, and sage. And we did that one promo where we said sage that because we talked about (laughs) saging your uterus uh, kind of playfully um, connecting to that estrobilome. But the herbal immune would be really powerful as well because that also supports healthy progesterone levels and aids as a, a natural herbal diuretic as well as mood stabilizer in that world. Yeah, that's a fantastic tool add on as well. And then CBD is another big one, I think, both orally and topically. And then even inserting. Yeah. (laughs) So we'll put a link to Foria, which is a company that does vaginal insertions. And I have had really favorable outcomes with clients that deal with severe pelvic inflammation or uh, various forms of pelvic diseases, as well as interstitial cystitis. Um, So individuals that have interstitial cystitis tend to have more inflammation in that bladder space, which is so connected. It's a neighbor to the uterus, right? And so there can be a lot of painful, um, painful intercourse and also really severe activity seen with shifts in the menstrual cycle. So the Foria has been a really positive tool that I've actually had women that have painful intercourse do a CBD suppository maybe two hours prior to getting intimate. And that can really help with a a more enjoyable sexual experience. Super cool. Yeah. Um, And then doing something like an Epsom salt bath kind of leading in would be another way um, to support some of that, especially the heavy cramping. 
Yeah, so you're getting that magnesium sulfate in there, and that's going to be transdermal going through the skin. So it will also support vaginally and that uterine space, as well as like the, the legs, uh, which we'll touch on in a moment when we talk about endometriosis. Um, so all of those would be good things to consider with the heavy cycles. Now, if your cycle is, uh, you know, really varied, uh, meaning that you might go from like a 20 day to a 43 day to a 14 day, and it really feels across the board. I do highly suggest doing a little bit of deep dive testing. And that's where I would really look at the Neurohormone Complete Plus panel, um, because this can really tell us on that HPA, HPO connection. So we look at our sexual hormones, our three types of estrogen. So your estrone, estradiol, estriol, which is that E3 is like an estrogen antagonist helping to balance out estrogen dominance. Then we also look at your progesterone, testosterone, a four-point cortisol analysis, and DHEA, which is that steroidal hormone also made by the adrenals that can convert into estrogen or testosterone. And then we look at your neurotransmitters, which especially if you're someone who's coming off birth control, there's a huge connection on birth control and depression and anxiety. So really understanding where you're expressing in the world of serotonin, GABA, as well as epinephrine, dopamine, a lot can be learned from running this panel. And so if you're someone that is dealing with post-birth control syndrome or looking for fertility and optimal sexual hormone balance or dealing with any mood disturbances or having an irregular cycle or just really curious about understanding your mm -hmm. body and its cycle, I think that that would be a really great place to start. Awesome. Um, and then what about like cramping in the middle of a cycle or not related to your period? Yeah. So sometimes breakthrough bleeding or having a lot of quote unquote action or cramping in the middle of the cycle is a strong indicator of cysts. So you would likely want to look at if you're having, you know, any of those really heavy cycles or pretty significant cramping in the middle of the cycle that is not related to, to your period, you might want to request an, a, a vaginal ultrasound. Uh, at your next OBGYN so that they can actually see more internally what's going on with the tissue. And if you are dealing with cystic ovaries or fibroids or any buildup in the body, really the best tool there again is still that inflammazyme as the number one intervention. So you could increase your inflammazyme from that four a day up to six to eight when you feel that sensation and that can help to kind of break or rupture the cysts, help you in the passing of them. And uh, we see that with PCOS, there's a huge trend with insulin resistance. So as we talked about in that two-part podcast episode, this is where we see a lot of those miracle keto babies and the role of a low-carbohydrate diet really supporting insulin sensitivity or reducing that insulin resistance and that reducing the polycystic ovarian syndrome, which can support then a healthy uterine function and healthier passing of eggs, all of the good things. The other thing I'd consider in that world is berberine boost because we can associate that um, as more yeast activity in the uterine space. And we also know that berberine uh, boost product can also support with the fibroid activity. Not to mention lowering blood sugars, which, You're you right. know, 
also implicated in, in PCOS. Same thing, right. Yeah. So that's going to support that insulin sensitivity as well. And we've seen studies of berberine being as successful as a tool as metformin. And again, you know, metformin is one of those medications that's used alongside with infertility treatment. Um, and again, then we can see that relax and regulate covering the other side yep. of the spectrum. Yep. All right. And let's just go a little deeper on endometriosis since you mentioned it. Um, we haven't really dug into this since episode 145 on endometriosis and infertility, which is a really good deep dive, but let's at least kind of crack at the surface a little bit. Yeah. Endometriosis goes often underdiagnosed because of birth control again. Mm-hmm. So it's concerning when we just put a bandaid on a volcano or we just manage a symptom and we're not addressing the underlying root cause. Endometriosis is a painful disorder in which tissue, which is similar to the tissue that lines the inside of the uterus, the endometrium, grows outside of the uterus. So this could be involving in the ovaries, in the fallopian tubes, um, in the tissue lining the pelvis. It can even be found in the colon, even in the legs and other areas. And so this displaced endometrial tissue also can be referred to as implants, and um, they are influenced by hormones just like the endometrium is. So the implants in the body or the the tissue that doesn't belong right outside the endometrium tissue outside of the uterus um, is going to behave just like the endometrium so these tissues will swell with blood as ovulation approaches they will break down if pregnancy does not occur to prep for menstruation but areas outside of the uterus aren't supposed to menstruate, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so this can create a lot of inflammation, um, a lot of pain. Um, It can also cause, uh, the way that I liken, I get really bad endo in my legs and vascular system, and I liken it to barbed wire, like wrapped around my legs. And that's the only way I can describe it. Um, It's a really heavy, lethargic pain and inflammatory process. And the concern is that we can see the growth of this tissue that doesn't belong developing adhesions or scar tissue. And this is why we can see endometriosis really accounting for upwards of 30 to 35% of infertility cases, because then as the uterus kind of Uh, protects itself from those adhesions, um, the tissue becomes less supple um, and that scarring tissue does not create the habitat to support implantation of a fertilized egg. Got it. Um, So yeah, that could radiate to legs, back, even like a swollen abdomen. And I've heard a lot of GI issues too connected to endo. Oh, most definitely, yeah. Like I said, it could, the tissue can be in the colon and there's mm-hmm. that fluid shift. And so we can often see really swollen abdomens sure. um, and bloating and distension. And and I know that when I go too long without doing a beat the bloat cleanse, like when I had uh, postpartum after Stella, uh, so my cleanse right before I got pregnant and then had not done one for about two years because I was breastfeeding, following the pregnancy, um, my belly was like so swollen. There's an image that we put in the beat the bloat cleanse and I'm like not pushing it out at all. That would be this like what people would call like a food baby or whatnot, Mm -hmm. but it would be cyclical. It wouldn't be relative to what I ate. Um, And that was that, that swelling from the tissue. And so I think again, beyond the beat the bloat actually cleansing for yeast and bacterial overgrowth, it actually can help with breaking down that tissue buildup as well as balance the estrogen dominance and support the lower progesterone. And we see that as a big trend with endometriosis. We see that progesterone levels are often low 
Um, this often tends to be um, somewhat genetic, so there is some heredity involved in this, but there's also that epigenetic stress response. And so progesterone levels will often get dropped in individuals that are high stress because they steal pregnenolone, the building block, and convert it into cortisol, the survival hormone. And then this can create estrogen dominance either due to that progesterone deficiency or that individual might have estrogen dominance from excessive body fat or ingestion of xenoestrogens, which are mimickers of estrogens from man-made toxins or synthetics. So these are found in our plastic water bottles, uh, in many of the foods we eat because of pesticides and fertilizers and herbicides. And then we see xenoestrogens also in dioxin, which is highly concerning if you're using bleached tampons, for mm-hmm. instance. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So most tampons, if not organic, are going to have cotton that is A, highly doused in herbicides and fertilizers and pesticides, and then secondarily, it's bleached. Um, so that creates an environment then in your uterus when you're inserting that tampon that can create much more of an inflammatory estrogen dominant like opportunity um, which is something we definitely wouldn't want to do it's a huge realization that i think i had in college that all the feminine products are bleached and why the heck would you want to put that inside your body yeah i mean and and there's so much in fact i i as i was putting together today's episode becky i decided to do next week we're going to do an entire episode on estrogen dominance okay because there's so much yeah, to do here yeah, yeah. and i i think we did that really fun um I know we did that really fun video on YouTube. I'm not sure if we'll time it appropriately where it will be released. I hope so. Um, but there's just a whole lot to discuss there. The one thing I'll drop in the world of estrogen dominance for now is Brocco Detox. Mm-hmm. Um, so Brocco Detox would definitely be a strong tool of consideration. Um, and really in any end, even if you're that estrogen dominant without the excessive circulating estrogen, um, because the Brocco detox is going to provide you with the antioxidant increase, which is really important. Um, we see increased oxidative stress in individuals that have endometriosis. So getting the antioxidant from that NRF2 pathway of the sulforaphane that we get from the Brocco detox. And um, what's really uh, something I want to call out is it's not going to drive too low of estrogen. So Brocco detox can be safely used as opposed to something like DIM, methionine. DIM would really only be used if someone has known clinical excess circulating estrogen, and that's going to actually sequester and lower their estrogen levels. So like if someone has estrogen-related breast cancer and we run their saliva and we see that they're in an excess state of estradiol, I would keep them on the Brocco detox, but then I would layer in DIM. But I would not uh, give DIM to anyone else because that could actually put you at lower bone density. Mm -hmm. Um, That can also drive vaginal atrophy, you know, a lot of concerns because we need estrogen. Um, So I'm a really big fan of the Brocco detox as something that you can do in the dark without testing in any phase of your cycle um, and can be appropriate, you know, so perimenopausal, menopausally, as well as in a menstrual uh, age. Yep, I think that's a really good point on the dim. I'm often having to take people off of that who just put themselves on based on symptoms alone. Yeah, so the Brocco Detox will support liver health. It'll give you the antioxidant. It's going to also reduce inflammation and it will regulate your estrogen expression, but in a gentle way. And then the other thing I would go back just to kind of really harp on the inflammasome and systemic enzymes. 
everything you'll read about in a functional approach for endo and really in the world of infertility there's a lot of compelling literature on systemic enzymes they are really the best and most effective natural therapy for endometriosis and any fibroid buildup of tissue in the uterine space um, or outside of of course in the case of endo and um, what they do is they also will help to not only proactively as far as reducing adhesions and buildup, but systemic enzymes from inflammazyme, this is like your proteases and such, um, they actually um, can help to reduce the scar tissue that already has been formed from your history. And so that'll break down the tissue that was left from past flares of endometriosis, even if you have it under control at the current time. Um, and so we also can see that these proteolytic enzymes can reduce swelling and pain, um, and they have their own mechanisms that can eliminate cysts, so it can be very powerful tools with PCOS, um, and have been really the only available tool for uterine fibroids, and can also support estrogen exposure and get rid of excess estrogens in the body. Okay, so same recommendation there six to eight of the inflammasome a day and that, would that be ongoing for someone with endometriosis yes. that's active yeah so if you have known endometriosis you'd want to be on this higher level for at least a solid like three month period of time especially if you're looking to support fertility um, and it's really funny. I feel like every time my body creates these awareness things of like, oh, wait, what fell out of my um, timestamp? And um, I had stopped taking inflammazyme because there is turmeric as an ingredient of it. And I had kind of like opened up the lid of potential pregnancy and was like, oh, well, you know, I know that turmeric in high amounts could cause um a uh, miscarriage and so I wouldn't want to take that but then not thinking that well when I stop taking inflammasome my uterus isn't going to be happy right. that's not going to mm -hmm. support healthy pregnancy either and then I had the breakthrough bleeding so now it's like oh got to get back on that inflammasome um, and the real big thing when we talk about anything of being safe with pregnancy or not you would test positive in your pregnancy before you're going to actually have a shared blood uh, blood share with your new baby at a very young age, right? So upwards of six weeks of positive pregnancy, you can take any supplement that says don't take with pregnancy. So just a little call to action on that. I'm always getting emails of people like, hey, I'm trying to get pregnant. I saw that Calm and Clear isn't safe. Um, is this something I should stop now? And I'm like, no, keep the Calm yeah, and Clear because yeah, yeah. you need to be mellow to get pregnant. Um, so there may be ingredients in some of the formulas that aren't safe with pregnancy. You would still take these all the way through testing positive on a pregnancy test and then you can stop those formulas and find safer alternatives yep i think that's a really good point and the level of turmeric in the inflammasome versus something like super turmeric is really different too most definitely so if you were trying to be conservative you could keep the inflammasome up at that six to eight a day you could keep your super turmeric lower and then once you get past that ovulation phase you could go higher with your epa dha extra and maybe pull the super turmeric out sure. if you wanted to be super yep. conservative yep. but again that really wouldn't be necessary until week six um, of your pregnancy. And then again, beyond the systemic enzymes, that's where the berberine will be really beautiful. And I haven't mentioned yet the power of detox, but this would be really important because um, detoxification is going to reduce that oxidative stress, reduce some of those toxins, which can drive that xenoestrogen dominance. It's going to support liver clearance of that estrogen excess in the body, as well as support of detoxing through the colon. Um, so the Reset, Restore, and New Detox Packs would be something to strongly 
definitely consider doing like one pack a day, um, especially if dealing with known endometriosis and then cellular antioxidants, especially if looking at supporting egg health. So if you're someone who's in your thirties and you're looking at pregnancy down the line, cellular antioxidants is really great because of that N-acetylcysteine and the glutathione in there. And those have been shown to support antioxidant capacity in the body and also the health of your eggs. And then in the detox world, in our ultimate detox formula, which is the white capsule in the packs, the three phase two pills, if you will, um, that has calcium D-gluconate, um, which is going to aid in the colon regulation of estrogen. And so that actually helps to sequester excess and can aid in bacterial balance in your estrobilome and aid in reducing that excess estrogen, which would otherwise be recirculated by being reabsorbed in that gut blood barrier. Okay. And then as we're on the topic of just drama in the uterus, I guess, um, there's a big connection to chronic yeast infections, BV, dysbiosis, and this estrobloome. Um, so let's just discuss the impact and connection of dysbiosis. Yes. So if, you know, the estrobilome first is really a big important part of optimal menstrual health and women's hormones. It's essentially the interplay between your sexual hormones and the microbiome. So we see that endometriosis often has a connection to microbiome imbalance, as does PCOS. And, you know, these are the two primary diagnostic um, concerns of infertility or cycle dysregulation or really severe uncomfortable cycles. Um, we've seen in clinical research that probiotics alone can actually help to regulate the level of our sexual hormones because the bacteria in the colon, again, play a big role with the modulation of the metabolism of your estrogen. So the colon is going to play a big role with the connection and communication of the uterus based on the metabolism and modulation of your sex hormones. And we see that you can have dysbiosis actually in the endometrium. So your lining of your uterus itself can actually have a role with bacterial imbalance. And for individuals that have poor reproductive outcomes, we tend to see them to be more sterilized in lactobacillus, which also trends with stressed individuals. But we know that that lactobacillus strain, which is in all of our probiotics, yep. um, right? Yeah. Um, and so the lactobacillus is going to play a big role with fertility outcomes, as well as cycle regulation, reducing inflammation, and supporting the immune response of the endometrium. So there's less likelihood of miscarriage. Um, so that's why in our mama to be bundle, we have the Restore Baseline Probiotic as a great tool to prepare for pregnancy, but also to support through a successful pregnancy when the immune system is somewhat compromised or reduced to allow the body to, to hold that baby, if you will. Okay, and then even beyond the endometrium, we can see uh, specific bad bacteria related to pelvic inflammatory disease and, yeah. and other mechanisms that can impair implantation. Oh yeah. And like I mentioned, the interstitial cystitis mm -hmm. has a huge trend to dysbiosis. Um, just dealing with BV alone, bacterial vaginosis um, or yeast infections or UTIs are often a sign of of real more systemic or gut dysbiosis as well. And we can see this both in males and females. So it's important to note that if you are with a partner, um, a, I want to say like a long-term partner or whatever, uh, 
a partner, I guess. Because you could be the partner that's interchangeable. I guess I mean like a life partner or whatever. A serious relationship. That's what I'm trying to say. Someone you're trying to have a baby with? Yeah. Or, or, I mean, even just a serious relationship (laughs) and you're not trying to have a baby. Sure. You could be playing cat and mouse with dysbiosis. Yeah, that's a good point. That's all I was trying to say. (laughs) I don't know. Um, But so be mindful that you can have, like, penile candidiasis, right? And penile dysbiosis. And so you, as a female, or maybe you're the male listening, whoever's listening, you could do the beat the bloat cleanse and have really great outcomes. And then, like, right at week seven, when you're doing your bacterial rebuild, you keep getting, you know re-hit with your partner's biome, which continues to kind of mess with your hustle. And so it would be important to consider if you have a long-term partner and you're experiencing some of these signs of dysbiosis to do the beat the bloat cleanse in tandem so that you can both kind of plow the gut and then you can both support in a synergistic symbiotic relationship, even as you know, you're going through your intercourse. I think that's a, a really good point and why not just enroll someone to do it with you anyway right right also just for like the diet (laughs) and all the things but if you're sharing a household chances are you're passing that stuff back and forth most definitely yeah okay and then speaking of dysbiosis there's the SIBO and birth control connection and and we'll go more into detail on good better best birth control options or should I say worse worse and worst (laughs) (laughs) I know unfortunate like okay worse and worse right um yeah um but let's first just make that connection of of SIBO and um oral contraceptives as well as IUDs yeah so you know the birth control orally um can definitely drive leaky gut we've seen indications clinically of the and the lining the epithelial lining of the gut being damaged through oral birth control And when we get that damage, we also have seen birth control to drive some sterility, which can also be associated with yeast overgrowth in the body. So when you have both of these, you have some sterility or decreased microbial diversity. Then you have altered gut motility because remember, a part of a role of good gut bacteria or good gut flora is to break down food particles and move fecal matter down and aid in bowel regularity. So you start to get sluggish digestion, overgrowth of yeast, and then the leaky gut from the gut damage, um, where we get larger food particles going into the bloodstream, causing more autoimmune-like tendencies and chronic inflammation. Uh, We can also see this driving SIBO. So there essentially becomes like a backup, if you will, in your intestines because of the lower motility and then that dysbiosis and some of that starts to get in the higher parts of your smaller intestine. Um, We see that the post-birth control syndrome and gut health are a huge trend. And we also know that birth control really impacts even higher in the digestive system all the way at your gallbladder. Um, So we can see individuals that have gallstones tying to estrogen dominance as well as um, gallbladder stagnation tying to history of birth control use. And this, of course, because the gallbladder is the storage tank of your bile flow and bile is going to aid in neutralizing your hydrochloric acid. Um, Bile itself is actually toxic to the types of bacteria that SIBO is comprised of. So when bile is impacted um, or lowered bile flow through birth control, or I could even say um, could be through other medications, of course, then we start to get overgrowth 
tendencies of SIBO. And this is where we'd really want to consider digestive enzymes like our Digestaid, which has that ox bile in it. And also the detox packs would be another great tool for this because there is bile in that phase one um, compound in our detox packs. And then GI lining support would be another tool to consider if taking an oral birth control because of that gut integrity, gut lining element, and always, always being proactive with a probiotic. Oh, the things I wish I knew when I was on birth control for almost 10 years, right? right? How many cleanses did you have to do? Uh, yeah, and I'm sure another one's coming up. And for how long? <laughs> yep. <laughs> right, like pretty much all of our, our experience together. Uh-huh. There's been a cleanse somewhere in there. Uh-huh, yep. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, and then um, there are, you know, a lot of things that we can do to treat the driving diseases associated with dramatic cycles or uncomfortable periods. So we have a whole episode 149 on getting your cycle back where we touch on amenorrhea or loss of cycle. Let's maybe touch on that yeah. um, and a couple of, of tools, obviously that, um, episode is really good kind of in depth if you are missing a cycle if it's gone MIA yeah Um, but let's let's just give the quick and dirty of getting your cycle back yeah so there can be you know conditions associated with too frequent menstruating heavy painful menstruating and also the absence of which is amenorrhea Um, and so we can see amenorrhea as a post birth control syndrome um, because the body was relying on exogenous, meaning outside of the body, synthetic forms of hormone that it just kind of went in shutdown mode. So you you don't ovulate when you're on birth control. So if your body takes, you know, maybe you only ovulated two to three years of your cycle and you went on birth control in your early teens and you spent more of your menstrual cycle age not ovulating, then sometimes your body doesn't just wake up like that. So we can definitely see amenorrhea as a post-birth control syndrome. And that's one of the biggest concerns aside from just not having the feedback of your menstrual cycle, but potentially impacting fertility or your menstrual cycle function altogether. Um, We can also see amenorrhea tied to what's called hypothalamic amenorrhea, which would be an impact through that HPA axis where the body is just so... Uh, wired for survival in that fight or flight mechanism that it literally suppresses the sex hormones so dynamically that you don't even have enough of a, a, a fluctuation in your follicular stimulating and luteal hormone to have ovulation or to have menstruation. So hypothalamic amenorrhea is often driven by high stress. Um, and we can see this, you know, maybe dealing with a life stressor or um, it could also be a chemical stressor, which is worth noting. So this could be mold overgrowth in the house. This could be uh, exposure to toxins. Um, And then we can see even good stressors like over-exercising, maybe getting too tight on your calorie control and your fasting. And especially if a low body weight and low percent body fat, you know, you really need body fat at upwards of 19, you know, 0.5 0.5 of a BMI or higher, you know, when we get really low BMI and low percent body fat, this is when we don't have enough fat for our body to feel safe. That leptin level goes really low and that also suppresses our sex hormone production because remember you need fat to make hormones. So we talked in that episode 149 about how 
A keto diet, a refeeding keto diet can be used for amenorrhea, but a keto diet could also be a reason for it if it's mm-hmm. too much of a hormetic stressor and you're not getting enough calories in with your keto approach. Okay, that's a really good point. And and that episode has a ton of tools on um, getting your cycle back. I think the first big one would be the relax and regulate that we talked about at the beginning of this episode. Yes, most definitely. All right, um, let's talk a little bit about oral birth control. I know there are so many on the market and like all these new names that I'm hearing now. I remember yeah. low estrin and low, low estrin, but there's a million. Yes. Ortho tricycline low and yeah. all the ones. Yes. So really uh, oral birth control is going to be a synthetic version of two hormones, generally speaking. So it's O estrogen and and progestin, okay? So it's often in the form of ethanol estradiol, which is a synthetic estrogen, and this is quite powerful. It suppresses, again, the hormone production. Um, And then there's also progestin or progestin-only pills, um, which might be referred to as the progesterone-only pill or the mini pill. Now, don't get confused with their use of the word progesterone because, as I mentioned, it's a synthetic progesterone known as progestin. And um, these oral contraceptives are going to have various combinations of strengths of the synthetic estrogen and progestin. And they will not contain progesterone themselves. And so we can often see an imbalance of really low progesterone levels with use of oral contraceptives because progestin has a similar structure, but it is not bioidentical or is not the exact same as progesterone. So it can bind to our progesterone receptors, um, which can suppress our ovulation, but it doesn't function like progesterone in the brain or in other parts of the body. So this can be really concerning. And, and there's a lot of connection of oral contraceptive pills and mood disturbances. So one mechanism is that there's an enzyme, the monoamine oxidize or MAO, Um, which is involved in the breakdown of our serotonin and dopamine, norepinephrine and epinephrine. And we've seen studies have demonstrated that the progestins, more than actual progesterone that your body would make or a bioidentical form, the progestins actually increase your MAO activity, which leads to a surge in the breakdown of your serotonin and your catecholamines, which are those feel-good stress-responding compounds. Now, too much catecholamine is not good, but too little can make us feeling really low and flat. And this can be one of the mechanisms why women report mood-altering effects with oral contraceptive use. Um, We also see that there can be dysregulation of the HPA axis by increasing circulating cortisol levels. So there's actual studies that have been done looking at the genes that are related to our glucocorticoid upregulation or the uptake of cortisol. And researchers were able to determine that cortisol would increase as well as the upregulation of proteins associated with psychiatric disease in users of oral contraceptive pills. So there's going to be a more rapid breakdown of feel-good neurotransmitters as well as a more increased expression of stress chemical in the body. And that glucocorticoid expression, remember cortisol itself can drive belly fat, which could also play a role with the imbalanced blood sugar and the increased body fat from oral birth controls. And then what I think was the most disturbing, and I'll I'll link the research in the show notes, 
was that researchers examined the hypocampal volume using an MRI, so a brain scan, of oral contraceptive users and non-birth control users, oral, and they found statistically significant smaller hypocampal volumes in the birth control group compared to the non. So their actual part of their brain volume was reduced, likely due to the chronic stress driven by the birth control interfering with stress regulation and mood balance. No wonder my adrenals are never coming back to life. <laughs> I mean, I, I just think it's I mean, really, that's wild. It is. I thought that that part was so wild. And um, I think we need to like do that as like an Instagram visual for because it's one of those things that has really irked me recently and if if not in the year of 2020 I don't know what would but this idea of lack of medical consent Mm -hmm. and um, coercion uh, that is done to patients as a there's not even a conversation about birth control Uh having any harms any impact on fertility which is also statistically seen nonetheless actually shrinking a part of your brain like that's big deal (laughs) and I mean it's been also seen in studies to contribute to things like ulcerative colitis and other autoimmune disease and and nobody sits down with you and reads that label with you I didn't think to do that when I was a teenager you know yeah yeah pretty wild I know so you know there's different brands of oral contraceptives again they're all going to have a synthetic form of hormone and they're going to come in different forms different strengths Um, you know there's pills that like seasonal which will skip cycling um, and some will have placebos that support cycling Um, but either way you are masking or slowing down your endogenous meaning made by the body hormone production because of this synthetic exogenous and the way that your body regulates this synthetic external hormone could drive liver gut and whole body imbalance right and something we touched on in those birth control episodes is that when you're having a quote-unquote period on birth control it's not really a period it's just a bleed out from stopping the hormone and going on those placebos for a couple of days yeah so we can also see then unfavorable uterine tissue because you're not getting that actual dynamic lining thinning effect and again you're likely going years without ovulating yep all right what about iud's or the depoprovera shot i know a lot of clients are asking especially about like the copper iud's or the um, morena or the there's another new kid skyla on uh, new kid on the block yes um, (laughs) of the iud world yeah so I have seen so much talk about gut drama, Mm -hmm. um, GI cramping, and inflammatory bowel disease, which I can't say is a direct connection, but I just know that there's a lot of digestive and colon and intestinal inflammation that I've seen trending with IUDs. And I think it's because of the, again, tissue being very close neighbors of your intestines and your uterus. So the progestin is in the marina, that's the hormonal IUD, which I would not recommend because I just mentioned all the negative impacts of progestin um, as a synthetic hormone. And then the copper one, you might think you're getting out scot-free because, well, it's not gonna impact my hormones, but there's a lot of individuals that are very sensitive to copper and copper driving anxiety on a mood disturbance. It can compete with zinc and other divalent minerals in the body. And that excess can drive agitation, anxiety, fight or flight, stress response. Um, the way that the copper IUDs function, it, it doesn't block sperm from entering the cervix. It actually creates inflammation that is toxic for the eggs and semen so that they can't survive. So I'm just not stoked about 
the idea of putting something like an instrument or a tool in the body that has a sole purpose of driving inflammation mm. to the reproductive organs, yep. you know, to, to, to kill something through toxicity and inflammation. I, sure. I, I can't make sense with that. Um, and so there's a lot of uh, inflammatory response that we see outside of the uterus, as well as like uterine cramping, which can be quite dynamic. Um, and I've had so many clients where their IUD dislodges yeah. or... Yeah and, yeah, and beyond. So I'm, I'm not a big plan. I'm not a big fan, excuse me, of those. And then the Depo Provera is brand name for the medroxyprogesterone, which is the synthetic progestin um, shot. And we can see weakness, fatigue, anxiety, insomnia, depression, breast swelling and pain, hot flashes, leg cramps, stomach bloating and distension, acne, joint pain, hair loss. Um, irregular vaginal discharge and output, uh, redness, irritation, itching in the vaginal area, cold and flu-like symptoms, and low libido or changes in sexual desire, all as known side effects on the box of the depot. So also one that I'm not sure I want to just surrender um, all of that functional area just to not have a period. Right. Yikes. Um, so I know you listed a lot in there, um, but how could these issues, I guess, manifest as, as side effects of birth control? What would we see as like the big side effects? So I think the mood stuff is huge. And so if you're dealing with mood in imbalance, if you're looking at considering an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety drug, the first line of defense I would say is check your hormones. So I would go yeah. Neurohormone Complete Plus panel, like I said, that combination of saliva and urine to look at the neurotransmitters and look at your sex hormones and see if maybe you're a candidate for bioidentical hormone. I am a huge proponent of in in individuals of need, if we know through testing uh, that they do not have ample progesterone levels of using a transdermal, meaning through the skin, bioidentical bio form of progesterone to kind of give them a level up if there's someone that's a chronic high stress individual. And um, Becky and I both fall into that category. I mean, I've, I've personally been using bioidentical progesterone for over, well, Stella's almost five, uh, I think six six plus years or so. And, um, it's game change. I notice cognitively and mood wise, the days I'm on and the days I'm not. And, um, you know, I test my hormones about three to four times a year, at least three times a year. And I might go every other cycle on it at a time that I'm more chill. I might need a little bit more intensive support on a time that I'm seeing other signs of imbalance of stress. Um, but that can be a really powerful tool that, doesn't address the root cause. It's giving you though what you do need in a form that isn't going to drive imbalance on that receptor level because it is the actual identical, not the synthetic form. So I think that if dealing with, you know, the mood stuff, that's really where to look. Um, we can see, I think I named, you know, the skin stuff is really big as far as acne and dermatological considerations. And that's where really the same interventions of detox and beat the bloat cleanse would kind of be the two areas mm -hmm. of concern there. We can see painful cramping, which again, we kind of already addressed the areas there. And even in the world of like libido and sexual dysfunction, I would really start with that Neurohormone Complete Plus or maybe just getting going with the stress manager bundle so that you're kind of harnessing that stallion of the brain. Because when your body feels safer to reproduce, you're gonna have more balanced hormone secretion because the 
the pituitary in the brain is going to stimulate sex hormone production. Uh, even the hypothalamus actually starts right away with the sexual hormone productive signals. And so as you start to put out more sex hormone, that libido is going to go up when the body feels safe. So starting with some stress management support and that relax and regulate might be reasonable. And then if you've been on oral contraceptives, um, you want to be mindful that there's a whole gamut of B vitamin depletion that we can see, as well as I've mentioned before, oxidative stress from any form of birth control, especially those IUDs, which cause inflammation as a mechanism. So looking at things like our B complex to layer on would be a big area of focus. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we see specifically folic acid, B2, B6, B12, and then bringing up your antioxidants through like the cellular antiox. Um, And then we even see minerals like zinc, magnesium, and selenium to all be uh, lower in individuals that are on birth control. We have interference of absorption and manufacturing um, when we're on these oral contraceptive drugs. Yeah, almost every client that I get off of birth control, I do a micronutrient panel, you know, within three months or so of, of getting them off that to see kind of where the holes are. Yeah, because again, it's like beyond, so there's there's anxiety, which I mentioned, which could be another, you know, pharmacological intervention. And then there's migraines, mm-hmm. which can be tied to birth control, uh, driving that imbalance of A, progestins themselves as synthetic hormones can drive migraines, as can estrogen dominance, as can depletion of these nutrients, hypothyroid, or as I mentioned, the cortisol weight gain connection. And then also the thyroid requires selenium and zinc and these B vitamins. And so if you're suppressing nutrients from this intervention, you're setting yourself up for a whole gamut of this kind of pharmageddon or this pharmacological need of more and more and more drugs to keep band-aiding the volcano. Um, And then what about these new spermicide options out there such as Fexi. Are they any better? Yeah, so I looked into Fexi. I think that this is interesting. Um, now, the side effects are, are are quite robust in the world of your vaginal tissue, your vaginal discharge, uh, mucus. Um, so these are things to be mindful of potentially repleting. What I thought was interesting about Fexi is, so it's a spermicide, and so you would use this gel. It's a, a, a contraceptive non-hormonal gel. Um, and it just came out in uh, last summer, in May of 2020. And it's found to be 86.3% effective with typical use. And you insert it an hour before vaginal intercourse. So it does require some timing there. But the ingredients themselves are not super concerning as far as the active ingredients. It's it's creating a high acidity. So it's lactic acid, citric acid, and potassium uh, bitterate. And so... Those three compounds themselves, if I'm weighing out cost to benefit sure. and I'm talking to a client who is single wanting to mingle and wants a flexible option, I still always recommend condoms because none of these things are going to stop STDs. And so, you know, if you aren't in a serious relationship, then condoms should definitely be used most definitely. And if using a condom, then you wouldn't need to do this type of insertion. But if you wanted to have the freedom and your cycle is not regulated where you can use the basal body temperature, you're getting too many yellows on your daisy and you have some unknowns, I think that this may be the best intervention um, because it can be used sporadically. It doesn't have to be used, you know, all 30 days of the month. It could be used two to three times in the month because you could otherwise use your cycle and time stamping and, um, other methods like you know good old pull out method which is i don't know what percent effective depending <laughs> Probably on 
86-ish. Um, I Depending don't know. on your partner. I don't know. I have a baby out of it. so <laughs> <laughs> Depending on the eye contact. Sure. And the, yeah. Yep. yeah um, and then um, if you were doing something like that, you could actually um, insert vaginally to kind of counteract that. Like I talked about in my, I think it was the third trimester episode, doing um, a kind of vaginal focused probiotic. Yes, because you would be said that would be the biggest risk factor I see with something like Mm -hmm. Fexi. Now, there's other brands of spermicides that have more toxic ingredients. So, just specific to this one, I I think I'd kind of be on the fence of like, meh, maybe. Um, And less harm, I would say, than an IUD and an oral contraceptive if I had to weigh them out again because of the consistency of use and still letting your body find its rhythm not driving the nutrient imbalances, but it's definitely going to mess with the pH of your vaginal mucosal membranes. So you'd want to reset the pH and you're going to be sterilizing the microbiome, as Mm -hmm. you mentioned. So you want to re-inoculate. So you might consider doing um, like some douching following using that, maybe at least the following morning, if not that evening. Um, and you would also want to consider insertion vaginally of a probiotic. I think that'd be great to do a couple days following. And there has been really favorable research showing that. Um, and so I think that that's something to really consider. And should we share our news? Let's tell them. (laughs) So we are releasing a new probiotic. I can't believe we got this far into the episode without talking about (laughs) it, actually. Um, But we are releasing Women's Flora. And hopefully it's out for today's episode. We've already put in our first order to share with you guys. Um, And so when we're looking at vaginal Remember the the microbiome is, you know, hundreds of trillions of cells in our body, right? And so there's lactobacillus and bifido strains, which are the really most known, well-researched flora. And we tie those to really whole body health. But of the lactobacillus family, there are two particular ID strains that are well-researched for vaginal health. And I want to share some updates and research and what's in our formula. So our formula is a probiotic blend of 2 billion CFUs. So this is really made to layer on your Restore Baseline or your targeted strength probiotic or the rebuild spectrum, whichever level you're taking. And you might be taking rebuild spectrum if you've had a history of BV or have have done the beat the bloat cleanse and have had yeast overgrowth in the body as a protective supporter because of the Saccharomyces boulardii in there. Um, which can support synergistic balance from that yeast overgrowth. Um, and then you'd probably also be on either the Restore Baseline or Targeted Strength. But this has, the women's flora has the Lactobacillus raminis and the Lactobacillus ruderi. Um, and the particular strains, the RC14 and GR1, have been studied in a treatment for UTIs, so for individuals that have recurrent urinary tract infections, as well as for treatment of BV and chronic yeast infections. And so we'll put the various studies out there. Um, But I did pull one that I thought was really compelling. It was a randomized clinical trial of 252 postmenopausal women with recurrent UTIs. And so they took part in this double blind um, trial where they had 12 months of prophylaxis with a um, antibiotic at 480 milligrams, the trimethoprimus is a sulfa, sulfa antibiotic. And um, that was once daily, or they orally took the lactobacillus raminus GR1 
and the lactobacillus ruteri RC14, the exact same genetic strains of probacteria in our formula. And they took this one capsule twice daily. And we saw that the mean number of, or the average number of symptomatic UTIs uh, preceding the randomization was substantially less in the lactobacillus group and also the intention to treat or the need for intervention beyond this prophylaxis was substantially lower in the individuals that used this particular strain of bacteria in the probiotic. Super cool, and I'm excited to add this one to our line, especially for those that are dealing with like the chronic yeast infections and UTIs, and um, even for pregnant mamas who have a history of strep B. That was what I was referring to with the um, insertion of the capsule, but I was also taking that orally for strep B prevention during pregnancy. Yeah, and what's wild is you know there's a lot of women that are on like Bactrim and yeah. other antibiotics long term because of chronic BV or UTIs. And what this study went on to show beyond just the efficacy of reducing UTI symptoms and incidents is that also there was no antibiotic resistance as opposed to what was seen with the prophylactic treatment of the antibiotic. Um, And this was specific to E. coli, you know, and so E. coli is often found in the feces. And so when we're looking at the body um, on a long-term antibiotic, and we're talking about fecal contamination in the urine, which is very common. I mean, hello thongs, hello yoga pants. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Even without intercourse, you're getting some stuff in that space. Um, And so actually being on this probiotic also reduces not only systemic E. coli infections, but also reduces the resistance of E. coli. So, you know, by taking these long-term antibiotics, you can actually drive more E. coli systemic flare because of that bacterial resistance. Super, super cool. Yeah. So more robust gut function, less UTI, less BV, less yeast infection with the women's flora, and ensuring that you're not getting resistant to the antibiotics, which you may need at some point of a short-term intervention, but never as a chronic intervention. I don't feel like that's sound. All right. Um, Let's get into some food as medicine just to kind of round things out here. Yes. So one that I would start with is maca, which we like to talk about as an adaptogen. So maca is a Peruvian root, which uh, is a tuber, if you will. And this can be incorporated into smoothies. It can be incorporated into... We like to pair it with cacao in like a majority of our recipes, right? So we put it in our um, libido boosting avocado maca mousse. Um, So that's really fun and has like a Mexican hot chocolate flavor profile. We'll link that in the show notes. Um, But maca can support the pituitary gland and can aid in libido, uh, so sexual desire, as well as supporting that pituitary in regulating the luteal, uh, the luteinizing hormone and the follicular stimulating hormone and the progesterone support. So helping the body to feel safe and reproductively wired, if you will. So maca is a great tool if you are dealing with known low progesterone or if you are on birth control or if you've weaned off birth control or you're just in a perimenopausal or menopausal state and dealing with low libido. 
This could be a really fantastic intervention. Um, generally speaking, like two teaspoons four to five times a week would be a great frequency. It could also be stirred into like yogurt with chia seeds and berries or a smoothie as an option. And I'm thinking your walnut maca caramels as well that we have a video on. Yeah, those would be great too. So that's on the pod, um, not the podcast, excuse me. This the, is the podcast. This is the podcast. The YouTube, the YouTube channel. <laughs> yes. And CTA, call to action. If you haven't uh, checked out the Naturally Nourished YouTube, what the hell are you doing? Go on over to YouTube and put in Naturally Nourished. Make sure you subscribe because we put all the good stuff in there. And they're like digestible 8 to 12 minute videos and really fun content. Very relatable. And um, we've been having a good time putting out a lot of stuff over there. Yeah. Uh, another food is medicine focus, I would say most definitely. Our friends at Fond, I would totally incorporate the bone broth because as I mentioned, a lot of the gut and uterine connection. And if we have been on birth control, there's a lot of stress and inflammation in that GI tract. So really getting that combination of gelatin and collagen as well as glycine to support body fat regulation and L-glutamine as an amino acid to really repair the enterocytes or our gut cells and feed them. Um, bone broth is going to be a really good facelift for the gut, if you will, helping to to reduce food sensitivity, regulate inflammation, and um, aid in digestive health. Then I would also look to red raspberry leaf tea. So this um, has been known to relieve uterine spasms and also reduce the prostaglandin production, so the inflammatory compounds that drive that contraction of the uterine uh, muscles. So this is going to ease contraction of the smooth muscles. And um, you did a lot of that with your pregnancy you talked about, I right? I did, yeah. Yeah, I was doing it like second trimester on to yep, kind of tone. tonify mm -hmm. the uterus. Um, yeah. And even postpartum, I was doing that blended with nettle, which I know is another one that um, aids in uterine tone. Yeah, nettle is a total nutrient powerhouse for minerals, um, really great for red blood cell rebuilding. So we think of that as a good one also kind of during menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a really good at that end of the luteal phase as well as during menstruation to incorporate red, red raspberry leaf tea and nettle in combination. Um, being gluten-free in general, is going to be really important. There was actually a study done on uh, 120 women with endometriosis, and they found a good amount of them tested positive for the markers that signal the possibility of celiac disease. Um, also, a good amount of them did show to have inflammatory response to gluten with the GLUT uh, genetics and I fall into that category myself so I think that that's an interesting connection there and we know that the gluten in the diet also tends to be of course in grains which fall with refined carbohydrates generally speaking in our flour-based foods which then would drive dysbiosis and gut bacterial imbalance so I would say if not necessarily a keto diet at least a paleo diet would be very appropriate you want to get a good variety of phyto compounds and antioxidants a good amount of whole food based fiber because remember the colon is what clears that excess estrogen so your chia seed your leafy greens your cruciferous vegetables as i harped on brocco detox also getting those eindol three carbonyls in your cruciferous vegetables to support the detoxification and then ample protein and fat you know, you need fat to manufacture hormones. So getting variety of fat, and I would even incorporate some of those Mediterranean fats like your olive oil um, as a great support for hormone health. All right. 
great. I think we've hit most of it. And then our 10-day detox, I think, would be a yeah. fantastic layer, a really good way to get some of those food as medicine interventions that you just mentioned, especially the cruciferous veg um, and the bone broth, which we layer into our detox with a potential bone broth fast. Uh, but I feel like that would be a fantastic tool for a reset for really anyone who has ever been on birth control, especially right. if you're going off of birth control, um, a really, really good way to kind of reset on hormones. Or if you're experiencing really any of the period drama that we mentioned, I think the 10 day detox would be totally appropriate. Yeah. Supporting your, your liver produces hormone and clears hormone. So loving your liver is going to support sexual hormone balance. And I really suggest doing the 10 day detox at least semi-annually. I'll have my next one coming up soon in April and y'all can join me and um, we will put a link in the show notes for that as well. And if we've freaked you out about your birth control options, definitely go on over and listen to episode 107 when we do talk to you more about the basal thermometer methods of fertility awareness. You will leave that episode 107 empowered and really feeling like you can understand what your body is telling you through the rhythm of it and also how to use that information for safe family planning that would have no negative harm or impact on your body, nor interference in your body's biofeedback and natural design. So if you've enjoyed today's episode, please go on over to iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Give us a five-star review and a couple sentences of what you are loving. And also all of the formulas discussed in today's show notes will be featured in the show notes and linked, and you will find them at AllieMillerRD.com. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.